0: Excited to be here with you guys. Um, if you, yeah, if you guys can just open to John 15, we're going to be reading from John 15, which is an amazing chapter. I apologize in advance for the length of the the scripture that we're going to read. And while you're turning there, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Katia—I don't know if you guys know Katia Adams, who sometimes teaches here on Sunday mornings. Um, I work for her in a ministry called Frequency. And what we do is we travel together around the world and throughout South Africa and just bring kingdom ministry to people. So praying for people, prophetic, teaching. Uh, it's been amazing. I've been with them for about a year now, and luckily we get to be based here at Harvest Church, which is amazing. So, um, but a couple weeks ago, Katia came to me, and she's like, Hey, I want you to write down your life's message. What is your life's message? Um, And if you know Katya, she she is one of the best preachers in the world. So I was terrified to even open my mouth and try to tell anything to her because I'm terrified to preach in front of her. Um, But she was like, no, I want to sit down with you. Let's figure out this. Let's figure out your life's message. And so it got me thinking for the next couple weeks about what that actually is. What is my life message? And um, I don't know if this is my life's message yet because I'm only 23. But this is something, this is a a mindset shift that God placed in me a few years back that has shifted everything about my life, every single thing about my life. I would not be here in front of you guys If I hadn't had this mindset shift, so I want to encourage you guys. There are little small things little small mindset shifts that can come into our lives that change absolutely everything So don't think anything is small. There are amazing amazing shifts in our minds And I hope tonight that this mindset shift that I had is going to impact you guys, too So i'm just going to read john 15. We're going to start at verse 1 and then go pretty far Um, I'll tell you when to stop. (laughs) I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So already, this is an incredible scripture. Most of the things in here you'll notice is God acting on behalf of us. He's doing the acting. All we're doing is abiding in him, resting in him. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whomever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. <clears throat> isn 't that amazing already? I love I love that ver- or that chapter so much it 's changed my life so So this mindset shift that I was talking to you guys about before is what I call God's Kind Invitation. God's Kind Invitation. So that's kind of what I've titled the message tonight. But it started a few years back, and I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, if you guys don't know me, you may not know that I grew up in the United States and spent a few years at a ministry school called Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. And as you guys can probably tell by the title, they emphasize the supernatural. The supernatural is a huge part of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And what they mean by the supernatural is signs and wonders and miracles and people getting delivered, set free, all the amazing supernatural miraculous things uh, that happen in the Bible and are are meant for us still today. Um, And so one of their emphases is going out on the streets and praying for people wherever you are and just laying hands on them and seeing miracles break out in the streets. And I grew up in a church where evangelism meant... A couple weeks before Christmas, grabbing a business card from your church, going to work and giving it to someone and saying, Hey, I hope you show up to church on Christmas Day. This is my church. Here's the address. And then really hoping they don't show up to church on Christmas because then you have to introduce them to people and awkwardly invite them over after. That's what evangelism meant to me. It was as long as I give someone a card and I kind of share the gospel, then maybe they'll get saved someday after years of prayer. So uh, that was evangelism to me. I wasn't used to stepping out, going on the streets, and actually praying for people right there. And so when I got to Bethel, I uh, started the school and was like, cool, supernatural, that's awesome, but I'm just going to worship. I'm here for the worship. It's amazing. I'm going to sit. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to have a great relationship with Jesus. I'm going to take all the classes, but I'm not going to go out on the streets. And I'm not going to pray for anybody to get healed. That's just not my style. I'm an introvert, so I just thought it wasn't me. That's what I told everybody that it's just, that's just not me. And so I actually miraculously, this was the big miracle of my first year, made it through the first year without praying for anyone. <laughs> it, was, it really was a miracle. If you've been to Bethel, you know that like really, like you're going out on the streets. But I, I didn't go. I just Every time I found an excuse and I somehow made it through and I felt pretty accomplished. And so then I, go, I get into the second year. I'm like, sweet, another, another school year. This is going to be awesome. And I had every intention of not getting involved in any sort of street evangelism or anything like that. Until someone comes up to me and they say, hey, we really need your help there's this team that we're taking down to Reno, which is my hometown three hours away from Reading. I love this town. They're like, we're taking a team down there and we're going to hit the streets and we're going to lead people to Jesus and we're going to pray for the sick and we're going to see people healed. It's going to be amazing. And I'm like, oh no, I don't want to do this. But then I heard the voice of God say, yes, this is your chance. You got this. You're going to have to do it someday. Might as well do it now. And so um, I, I said, yes. I'm like, let's do this. I'll go. I'm nervous, but I'll go. The problem was that everyone there was expecting me to be a professional because I had already done a whole school year in the school. So so they put me, the, a part of the second year as leadership. They put you with teams of first-year students and you teach them how to do the stuff or walk them out on the streets and lead them. And so I got given this team of four little first-year students and they had never prayed for anyone on the streets before. And they're looking up to me like, he's going to lead us. He's going to show us the way. We... <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was very nervous on the inside. I'm like, they're going to find out I'm a fraud. This is terrible. Why did I agree to this? This is not a good idea. But I had to do what I had to do. So they released the teams. They send me out on the streets. And we start walking out onto the streets of Reno. We're in in the area where there's lots of prostitution and homelessness and the soup kitchens and things are there. So there's a chance we're going to run into someone who needs prayer. And I start walking down the street. They're following me. And I see a man start coming down the sidewalk and he's limping and he's clearly in pain with every step and he's got a cane. And the voices enter my brain of, okay, this is your chance you got this. And I get nervous and I look back at the first years and they're all looking at the man limping and they know that they're going to have to pray for him too. So they're nervous too. And on the inside, I'm trying to keep it together. And then I hear these other voices in my head and say, you better do this. Don't mess up. This is your chance. And then the voices start saying, don't be a failure. You have to do this. And I think this is God in my head telling me to do this. He's like, This person needs you. This person needs your prayer. You better not mess up. You better not miss this chance. And the man keeps walking closer and closer and closer until he passes us completely. And then I look back at the students. They're relieved. (laughs) I'm relieved. But then also these voices in my head, you're a failure. Why didn't you pray for that man? He may never get to see the love of Jesus because of you. These students, they were looking up to you, but... They may never learn how to pray for the sick because of you. And so these voices of condemnation kept popping into my head. And so I turn to the students and I say, I have to go to the bathroom and I run into the nearest building and I get into the restroom and I just close my eyes. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, where's your voice? And then he says this to me. He goes, you're not a disappointment. And that voice that you were hearing in your head, that's not me. That's the voice of condemnation. That's the voice of fear in your brain. That is not me. My voice does not sound like this. He said, my voice will always be an invitation. It's always going to be an invitation into great things. And I didn't know fully what that meant yet, so I started thinking about it. I'm like, what is an invitation? What does that really mean? And I started thinking about my friends and how when my friends invite me over for a meal, they're not like you don't want to be a failure. You better come to this bry. That's not my friends at all. They don't say, oh, if you don't come, you're going to disappoint me. You're going to disappoint your family. You must come. They don't say, we'll stop being friends if you don't, if you, if you don't come hang out with me. That's not friendship. When George asked me to preach, he wasn't like, you better do this or else you're kicked out. You must preach. No, he invited, he invited me. It's an invitation. <clears throat> and if you have friends who speak to you like that, you need new friends. Just saying, <laughs> Yeah, no, my friends, when they, when they want to hang out with me, they say, hey, Jeshua, this is going to be super fun. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to share good stories. We're going to play some games, and we really want you to be there because it would be so fun if you were a part of it. We'll still do it without you if you don't come, but we really want you there. It's going to be super fun. And that's what, that's what invitation means to me. It means this kind, loving friendship that says, "Hey, you're worth it, no matter what." But I really, really want you to be a part of this. And so I thought about that, and then God sent me back out on the streets. I have to go out, but this time I've got that in my brain. It's, I know God's voice when it's an invitation. When it's an invitation. And so this time, when I'd go out and we'd see see people limping or or laying down on the street or or looking in pain, I'd instead of rushing to the the first person I saw, and instead of running away, I close my eyes and just think, okay, where is that invitation from God? Where is the invitation? And I'd wait until I'd hear God say, excuse me, he'd say, Jeshua, I love you. And see that person over there who's laying down? I love them too, so much. You're my son, and she's my daughter. How cool would it be if You made her day. How cool would it be if she got to see the love of Jesus today through you? I would love it if you would come with me and love on this woman with me. I would love it if you would pray for them. I would love it if they got healed. Why don't you come? It's going to be super fun. And so when I'd hear that voice, I'd know it was time to pray for someone. And it would be so much easier to say yes to an invitation than a, you better do this. You must do this. That's not the way God speaks to me. And so it became easier to step out at the sound of God's voice, and I spent that year learning how to step out at the sound of God's invitation, so much so that it became my favorite thing in the world to do. I would look for opportunities to pray for people on the streets, and I would go into shops and think, oh, who can I pray for today? That, that was the mentality that I had, just because I knew that God was always inviting me into something amazing. You can think about this in the same way uh, as the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus did everything from his sonship with God. He did everything from sonship. So God never said to him, "Jesus, you better prove your worth and go see that person healed." No, Jesus. It says in the Bible, he was moved with compassion for people that he prayed for. He was moved with compassion. So it was a father-son thing. It was. It was his heart. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't an obligation. And Andrew pointed this out to me a couple weeks ago, the the moved with compassion thing. And so something we've been doing is going to Gateway and sitting at Starbucks and then waiting till God highlights someone in the room with compassion in our hearts and then we go and pray for them. Um, And it's amazing because oftentimes we are drawn to the same person because we have the same dad who's speaking the same things over us. Um, But it's a beautiful way to go pray for people. When your heart is moved for compassion, not a forceful, do this or else. It's an it's a invitation. So let's go to verse 14 of this chapter. Um, John chapter 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So it's that same thing. A friend in, has an inviting kind voice. A master has a forceful, commanding voice. And so let's see God as our friend. The beautiful thing about the commands of Jesus is that every time he commands something, the power is released to see that thing fulfilled. So for example, when Jesus goes and he sees someone who's blind and he puts his hands on them and says, be healed, their eyes open up and they're healed right there. And so it's the same way when he commands commands anything. When his voice speaks, it has the power to do that. So, for example, the woman, uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus catches this woman in adultery, and um, after shooing the Pharisees who are stoning her away, he says to her, go and sin no more. And this isn't Jesus saying, okay, I saved you this one time, but don't forget you're a sinner. You better not mess up again. It wasn't, it wasn't him condemning her. It wasn't him forcing anything on her. No, it was him saying, go, sin no more. I have the power in my voice. Jesus had that power to say that, and now she can go and sin no more. It set her free from that day on. And it's the same way when God speaks to us about anything, about anything, when he's convicting us, when he's speaking to us about our sins, it's always a, you can do this. That's why I'm saying it. I'm saying it because you can do it. I'm not trying to hold anything over you. I'm not trying to punish you. No, he's saying you can do this. And so we have to remember that when we're we're listening for the voice of God. God's commands are not a way for him to have this unrelenting authority over us. His commands are invitations for us to agree with that power that he's releasing and do the very thing that he's asking us to do. And so back to this passage in John 15, In verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. So when God says that, He's saying, You have the power. I'm giving you this. Abide in me and I in you. That's what He's commanded. In verse 5, it says, My command is this. Sorry, not verse 5. Where is this? Yeah, 12, sorry. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that's another command of Jesus. He's commanding us that we love one another as I have loved you. But the beautiful thing is that command carries with it the very power to do it. You guys have the power within you to love your brother. You have the power within you to lay your life down for one another. Um, so this, this whole mindset shift, the invitation of God, the, it, wasn't, it wasn't just for me to go out and see people healed on the streets. That wasn't the only thing it set me free from. It actually did so much more in me. And so I'm going to go into to a bit more of, of the lies that kind of were broken because of the invitation of God. When I was a kid growing up, uh, like I said, I grew up in the church And so there was this pastor at my church who would oftentimes get up and preach this message where he would start with, be careful what you pray because God might just do it or worse, God might just do the opposite of that. And so what he's saying is, don't say, God, I don't want to go to Africa because you know God's going to send you to Africa if you say that. Um, uh, How many of you guys have heard this stuff in your church? I've heard this so many times. Be careful. Be careful what you pray. He'd say, don't ever pray this prayer. God, use me. Because then God might use you and He's gonna turn your life upside down and He's gonna put you in full time ministry and you're gonna be underpaid for the rest of your life. And I'm gonna like it. (laughs) That's what I was afraid of. And He told that very story. He told us of how God made him um, uproot his dreams and go into the full time ministry. And knowing this guy, I know that his heart was pure and that he actually really did love ministry. Um, He just wasn't representing the Father's voice in those moments. If, if, if it was an invitation from God, if, if this voice, if this, uh, this God that he's describing here was an invitation that isn't an invitation, I was going to say yes to. And so, so there were three lies that kind of came into my life because of that very message that I had been preached. The first lie is this, that Christianity is only about sacrifice, Somehow, this belief that Christianity was only about sacrifice became one of the central themes of my faith as a Christian when I was younger, simply because of these teachings that I had grown up with. And so, yes, sacrifice is super crucial to the Christian faith. In fact, sacrifice is one of the things that differentiates us from so many other faiths. It's that Jesus came and he died. He sacrificed himself for us. It's a beautiful thing. Sacrifice is this beautiful, beautiful thing. And obviously in this scripture, it says God's desire is for us to lay down our lives for our friends. And so sacrifice is important. But if we believe that sacrifice is the only purpose of our faith, then we go through life with this really sad faith. It doesn't, it doesn't lead us unto anything. It's just sacrifice. It's, it's this, this fear-based religion. And um, yeah, Jesus sacrificed for us And our sacrifice for others is not the end-all and be-all of the Christian faith. It's just not. If Jesus voices an invitation into greater things, if it's always that kind invitation, then our lives get to be so much more than sacrifice. They get to be so much more. So I'm going to share with you some of the things that are the more, the more of Christianity, the more of our faith. And they're all right here in this this chapter, (laughs) John 15. If you look at verse 7 again, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's one of the things that we get to, that we're invited into in this Christian faith is, is actually seeing our dreams come true. God has every desire to give us what's in our hearts. And looking at verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that you may that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord. We get to walk through this life with a joy. If you haven't felt the joy of the Lord before, it's so much more beautiful than this happiness or circumstantial goodness. It's this deep belly laughter, this joy that's deep, deep, deep inside, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. It's this beautiful gift. That's what God's inviting us into. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, that we should be fruitful. God wants us to be fruitful. That's what he's inviting us into, abundance, life. In the following chapter of this this book of John, um, chapter 16, verse 15, it says, All that the Father has is mine. This is Jesus speaking. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that's sonship. We get to partake of the same intimacy with God that Jesus did. We get to the same inheritance that Jesus did. We get to see the same miracles that Jesus did. We're we're sons, just like Jesus was the son of God. We are sons. That's what God's inviting us into. And he's inviting us into so much more. He's inviting us into friendship, like I said before. And he's so much better than a worldly friend. He's so much better than a friend here on earth. It's this deep, deep friendship. He's inviting us into abundant life, like John 10.10 says. He's inviting us into life and life more abundantly. And freedom. He's inviting us to see chains break over our lives, addictions break. Freedom. He's inviting us into the supernatural to see signs and wonders, miracles, deliverances. And he's inviting us into meaning. This one's something God's been speaking to me about for a long time, is the meaning that my life now has because of him. Every area of my life has this richness, this meaning. Um, And that's something that the world is really searching for right now. They want to know, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here on this earth? And we actually, we we get to partake of this beautiful meaning. A A few years ago, I was finishing my second year of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. So I had been going on this journey with God of hearing his invitation. And he said something to me. I was getting ready to go home for the summer and go live with my family and just enjoy the summer. And he said, hey, what if you go and live with your grandparents for the summer? And he just said that. He's like, I'm inviting you. Why don't you come live with your grandparents in the summer? And I'm like, really? Why? And I just had this thought, because my, my grandparents live in this town. Uh, it's about an hour and a half from where I grew up, and it's called Carson City, Nevada, which is, think like ghost town in the movies, tumbleweeds, everywhere. There's not really much to be seen in Carson City, Nevada, and particularly not much going on in my grandparents' house, except maybe golf on TV, and uh, I don't know what else, gardening. And so when I heard God's voice say that, I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound right. But I was learning to, to go with this invitation. So I'm like, okay, I'll put that on hold. I'll think about it. I'll think about it, God. And then a couple days later, someone uh, offered me a job in that very town that my grandparents were living in. And I had already been working at this job and they said that they could transfer me over there for the summer and make a little bit of extra money. And so I'm like, okay, yes, that's enough for me, God. I'll, I'll do it. I don't know why. I don't know what your purpose is, but I'm gonna go live with my grandparents for a summer. Um, and when I told my family, everyone was like, "Why would you do that? That's so boring. You can visit them on the weekends. You don't have to go live with them. That's terrible." Honestly. And and I didn't I really didn't know what the purpose of it was. And obviously that wasn't a particularly exciting summer. I didn't make a ton of friends. I didn't do anything super fun or go on any holidays. I just sat in my parents or my grandparents' house and I would come home from work and sit down at the dinner table, and I'd ask my grandpa to tell me a story. I'd just say, Grandpa, tell me a story. And so my old Italian grandpa would tell me some story, which was probably half made up, but uh, he had some amazing stories. He was not in the mafia, but I can tell you his three brothers definitely were in the mafia. (laughs) At least that's what he told me. And so I'd actually hit the record button on my phone and just record his stories because I felt like I wanted to keep those. And then I'd ask my grandma to show me pictures. I'd say, hey, can you pull out the memory book? And she'd pull out all these old, old photos and tell me about her father and her grandfather and the history of their lives. And there's some actually amazing stories of history in my family. And then that summer ended And I went back to Reading and did my third year of Bethel. And I didn't really think too much about that until I ended up moving to South Africa. Excuse me. And so a little over a year ago, I was getting ready to come out here. And I knew it was going to be a long trip out here. I knew it was going to be at least 10 months. Didn't realize it'd be way longer than that. And I had this thought as I was leaving. I'm like, oh, I really hope that I don't lose one of my grandparents while I'm gone. That would be so heartbreaking if I did that. And then October of last year rolls around, and I get a call from my mom, and it's early in the morning, which is late in the evening for them. So I knew something was up, and she says, Grandpa's not well. Um, And at the time, he had been in perfect health, so it was super unexpected. But she says, Grandpa's not well. He's probably not going to make it more than a couple days. And in that moment, I I was obviously sad, but then I just remembered that time that I had had with my grandparents sitting in their room listening to stories. Um, And I was never able to say goodbye to my grandpa. Uh, But it was, there was this beauty in that moment because I knew that God had given me those memories with them. He had given me treasures. And so... That, that seemingly unimportant summer of just sitting around watching golf on TV actually is one of the most treasured seasons of my life now, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, so if you guys are in a season where you don't know what's going on, or you don't know why God's called you where you are, there is meaning. Look for the meaning. Ask him, what is the meaning of this? Why? Because he doesn't want to leave us out in the dark. That's not his heart. He, he has meaning behind what he's doing. <clears throat> And that's something other people just, they just don't get. They don't get those moments. So that's the first lie that God broke, that Christianity is only about sacrifice. The second lie is that God's heart is in authority and not partnership. That his heart is to be an authority figure of a, with, over us and not a partner with us. John fifteen four again, abide in me and I in you. This whole chapter of the Bible is partnerships. It's a give and take with God. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. As we do what he commands, he gives us the desires of our hearts. As we lay our, down, our lives down, he lays his life down. There's this give and take. There's this partnership. He's not asking us to do anything he wouldn't do himself. It's this friendship. It's this relationship. We get to partake of that. This scripture says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's verse five. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Partnership. And so a part of this partnership with God and the invitation of God is that sometimes God invites us into something. And then sometimes we actually get to invite, invite God into something. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you guys another story. Two years ago, I was, or no, sorry, three years ago now, I was finishing my third year of Bethel. So we've done year one, we've done year two, now we're in year three. My third year of Bethel, and I'm getting ready to go home for this, for forever, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to enroll in university. I'm so excited to get back to my family. But God says, hey, Jesh, can you lay that down? Can you, uh, I have something better for you. Just put that on hold for now. And it was painful, but... I knew that he was calling me into something good, and so I, I painfully let that go. I said, I'm not going to move home. I'm just going to wait for the next best thing. So two weeks later, I meet this amazing couple named Julian and Katya Adams, who um, are, are incredible. They were visiting Reading for for a couple weeks, and so we had dinner. We had a dinner party. They had some mutual friends of mine, and they were invited over, and we sat down, and they just shared stories of what God's doing in their lives and what God's doing around the world because they do all this travel they were sharing about South Africa and what God's doing here and they were fun and they were quirky and they were just amazing people and I thought wow these people are so cool I would love to be around them more and so I remember going home that night after that dinner and and looking up and praying and just thinking oh God how cool would it be if I went to South Africa and he's like hmm And I'm like, God, would you would you open that door if I asked you to do that? He's like, Yeah, of course. I'm like, Cool, let's go to South Africa. And he's like, Yeah, let's go to South Africa. That sounds awesome. And I I woke up the next day fully convinced I was moving to South Africa. I hadn't talked to Julian. I hadn't talked to Katia. I, I was going around telling everyone next year I'm going to South Africa. I can't wait to go to South Africa. And people are like, so do they have an internship or something for you? I'm like, I don't know. I just know I'm going. Because God, in that moment, he was like, yes, let's do this. He wanted to partner with my idea. And so I'm convinced to this day that, that, was, that me being here is my idea. It wasn't God's idea. Uh, Obviously, obviously, he knew from the foundations of earth what I was going to be doing. He had the plan and purposes for me, but he wanted this one to be mine. And so he let me have it, and I'm so excited to be here, and it's been amazing. It's the same in the life of David. Julian pointed out to me recently that God actually never asked David to build a temple. He never, it wasn't God's idea, it was David's idea. David loved God so much, and he thought, oh, I love this God so much. What can I do to please him? what if I build this massive temple and just worship him? And God was like, yeah, why don't you do that? That's a great idea. And David's like, cool, God, will you make the plans? And God makes the plans. And it, it became the, this central theme to the entire story of, of God's people was this temple, this amazing temple. But it was David's idea. That's how much God wants to partner with our dreams and our visions for this world. He, he would be willing to let the whole world change because of our ideas, and he, he, he wants to partner with us. He wants to breathe life into those things. He wants to help us make the plans. That's how much he wants to partner with us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this means, and I know at Harvest we talk about this a lot, that whatever sphere of life you're in, whatever realm of the world you're in, you're not Less than just because you're not in full-time ministry. God wants to be with us in everything He wants to partner with us in our dreams and so this is something that I had to learn I I was always resistant to going into ministry, but then god uh, Revealed to me that whatever I do he's going to bless it And so i've gone after art. I love going after worship and I have dreams for bigger things Um, I happen to be doing a bit of ministry, too But god wants to breathe on everything every single thing in our lives How cool is that? That we get friendship with him. We get to be invited by him into great things and we also get to invite him into our everything. I've been challenging myself uh, to invite God into every every moment of my life. So in the mornings I wake up and I go to work and I sit there and I think, Jesus, how can you be a part of this day? What do you wanna be a part of? I invite the Holy Spirit and Father God into the room. And then sometimes there are areas where I'm like, okay, God, you you might want to look away, or okay, God, I'm about to say something you don't want to hear, so I'm not going to invite him into this part. Um, But I've realized that when, when I'm a bit resistant to inviting God into an area of my life, it's probably because I'm living in sin. And so if there are areas in your life that you're a bit afraid to invite God into, just think about those and ask God how you can invite him into those because God actually does want to be invited into our sin because he's the solution to our sin. He's the solution to everything. So it, if we're about to gossip, if I'm about to say something I know I'm not supposed to say, I should say, okay, God, this is the moment I get to invite you into my life. So I'm challenging myself with that. It's not always easy to invite him into everything but I want to do that. I want to live that life. So that was lie number two, that God's heart is authority and not partnership. And this is the last lie that God kind of dispelled um, to do with that memory. And this is the lie that I'm going to finish on, but the last one is a really big one. It said, I should be afraid of God's voice. So for years and years of my life, I remember walking around afraid of God's voice and I loved God and I had a heart for him. And I I it wasn't this anger towards him or this resentment It was just I was just afraid he was going to tell me something. I didn't want to hear because that's what I got preached on Sunday mornings that be careful what you hear from God because he might tell you to do something you don't want to do. And I didn't want that. I wasn't ready to pick up and move to Africa I wasn't ready to do that. I mean, ironically, I've done that now, but I was afraid. I remember even finishing high school and being afraid to ask God which university I should go to or where I should go just because I thought he was going to send me the place lowest on my list. And that's not who he is. He's always going to call me to greater things. And that doesn't mean it's not going to come with surprises that sometimes he might point you in a direction that you're confused about at first, but ends up being life-changing. Um... It, it means, it genuinely means that he's calling you into greater things every step of your life. If you're hearing his voice, you can trust that he's calling you somewhere that's going to be greater than where you were before. And I remember walking into stores and shops and thinking, I hope I don't see someone on crutches because God was going to force me into praying for them. Stuff like that. That was. It, it was this constant fear. And because I had this fear of hearing God's voice telling me to do anything, I kind of just shut his voice out completely. Because if if I don't trust him, I don't want to hear his voice. All of this was rooted in this mistrust of God. It kept me from hearing the truth and the love that he wanted to speak over me. I wasn't convinced of his love for me. I wasn't convinced always that I was unpunishable, that I was... Um, that I was seated next to Christ because I couldn't hear his voice speaking those things to me because I didn't trust him. So when you need to hear from God, I'm going to challenge you guys, rather than to jumping to conclusions, to wait for, for that inviting voice, wait for the invitation of God. Close your eyes and, and just just wait on that. If he's asking you to give something up or to, to throw something away, wait for his inviting voice saying, this is going to be good for you. It's, it's, it's something greater. If he's asking you to speak to someone or to pray for someone on the streets or to go uh, pray for that person who's, who's limping over there, he's inviting you into something great. If he's asking you to take this massive step of, step of faith, Close your eyes and wait for his invitation into that thing. Wait for his power in your life to actually see that thing through. If he's calling you to repent for something, you don't need to to, uh, position yourself as a lost son. You actually get to say, okay, there's an invitation here into something great. Jesus, where is your inviting voice? And then he gives you the power again to see that through. If he's calling you into freedom from a mindset or a behavior or a harmful relationship, there's an inviting voice there that's calling you to greater things. I want to live this lifestyle of taking every single invitation God has to offer, and I don't always do it, and I don't always do it right away, but that's the lifestyle I want to live, because if if he's calling me into something amazing every time he speaks, then why wouldn't I want to be a part of that life? Um, a few weeks ago, we were me and Julian were in Holland on a trip, and Julian was speaking to a bunch of ministry students, similar to the ministry school I went to. And he's like, "Oh, you should share on this or this or this," and I'm like, mm, "Okay." And he he asked me, he's like, "Do you do you want to?" And previously that year. I had uh, had this conversation with God where I just said, hey God, I want to say yes to every ministry opportunity that you have in front of me because I knew that I had this, a little bit of a fear of ministry because I grew up as a pastor's kid and, and I really, there's something in me, uh, maybe still that just doesn't want to be in ministry. It just, it, it scares me. Um, but, but in that, I knew that God had something great for me. So I said, God, if you invite me into speaking, or if, if there's a ministry opportunity to pray for someone, or to, to lead something, I'm just going to say yes to everything you have in front of me, and he's like, cool, that's awesome, but then um, this trip to, to Holland, like I was saying, I, in that day, when Julian invited me up, he's like, do you want to, and I'm like, no, I'm going to pass on this one, and so he gets up to share, and those voices in my head, the invitations of God came again, and he's like, are you sure you don't want to share? This is God speaking are you sure you don't want to share? It's going to be so fun. You're going to change these people's lives. And even if you don't, we'll laugh about it later. It's going to be amazing. You should totally do this. And I just chose to say no. I'm like, okay, no, I'm good, God. Not today. Feeling a bit tired. And I woke up the next day feeling disappointed in myself. I'm like, oh God, I made that promise to you that I was going to say yes to everything this year. And I declined your invitation. I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah, I know you did that yesterday, but today there's something cooler. There's something really awesome that's going to be, that's going to happen. There's more ministry opportunities. And I was able to pray for people that day and do some ministry that day. And so, like I said before, God isn't this, he's, he's not like our earthly friends. He's not like our earthly father. Whenever we decline an invitation from God, he's always going to have another invitation. He's always going to speak to us again. Still though, why wouldn't you want to say yes? Why wouldn't you want to, to step out? Why wouldn't you want to say yes to this invitation, this party that God has set up for us? And so that's the life I want to live. I want to live saying yes to his invitations every single time he speaks.